everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unsubscribe, the Demand Drive podcast. I am your host, AJ Alonzo. I've got my co-host with me today, Alex Ellison. How you doing, Alex? I'm having a good day. I know this isn't going to come out for a few weeks, but uh, I'm going to the MLB All-Star game tonight, so I'm just, I'm excited. Just nice. immediately shatter the fourth wall. It's like, hey, in case you wanted to know when this episode was recorded, it is July 11th. <laughs> hey, you know, um, I'm helping people out. Yeah. Speaking of uh, MLB All-Star, real quick, sorry that Julio Rodriguez lost the home run derby last night. Shame. That's okay. Well, I'll survive. He'll survive. Um, we've got Paul Slack with us today. Paul is the head at Vende Digital. Um, were you a baseball fan, Paul? I know you're in the Texas area, so you've got a couple of teams to pick from. You know, uh, I am in the Texas area, so um, we do have a couple of teams to pick from. I'm from North Texas, so we have the Rangers. So I don't know what your thoughts are about the Rangers, but when I grew up, uh, the Rangers never went anywhere. Now, in the last 10 years or so, we've had some uh, some success, but uh, not really a giant baseball fan. Uh, you know, I am a bit of a Cowboys fan, so football season is my season. So it's it, it's been painful for 25 years. It's been painful, but I still am a Cowboys fan. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, man. We were pretty awesome back then. Yeah, you had some some stuff to actually root for back then. Now, uh, you know, take it or leave it. Some good seasons, not what you want. Um, yeah. But this isn't a sports podcast. This is a sales and marketing podcast. So we, we did want to bring Paul in and we're going to talk a lot about ABM, sales and marketing alignment, stuff that you're incredibly and intimately familiar with. So um, before we jump into the actual meat of the conversation, give people uh, a, a little bit of a background about yourself, Vende, um, you know, what, what you do and sort of your involvement in the sales and marketing space. Great. Well, first of all, thanks for letting me be on the podcast. I'm excited to be here today. I love podcasts where the audience are on the sales side because, um, you know, really that's my background from the get go. I started out going to date myself here a long, long time ago, back in 1990 as a technology sales guy. Yeah. And, um, back then it was really cool to be a sales guy because, um, we owned everything, right? There wasn't the internet if clients needed uh, to know something and they had a question they didn't know the answer to, they didn't Google it. They called you and said, oh, Hey, yeah, I've got a question. How's this going to work? My applications aren't running fast enough. What can I do? And so it was really a great time to be in sales. And then, uh, in the late nineties, this thing called the internet happened and, uh, the whole world changed. And as a B2B salesperson, I really just saw the internet as a tremendous opportunity for B2B companies uh, to have this 24 seven salesperson, like that's being a sales guy. That's what I thought about the internet. It's like, oh my gosh, it's 24 seven. It's, you know, getting your message out there all the time. And so I actually got out of sales and started, um, a digital agency in 2000 to help B2B companies and Alex and AJ, you're not going to believe this, but literally I had CEOs tell me in 2000, um, that they didn't need websites. They were like, what, why do I need a website? You know, we've got a sales team. Uh, we go to all the right trade shows. I don't want to put anything on our website. We don't want our competition coming and stealing all of our good information. We don't want a website. And I was like having to convince uh, C-levels that they needed to, to actually have a website in 2000. And so um, it was pretty crazy. I thought the world would like embrace it the way that I was seeing it. And, and it wasn't so much in the world of B2B, uh, but eventually they came around and so uh, my agency uh, got off the ground back then. You might imagine uh, in the world of B2B and digital marketing, you were building websites and you were helping with uh, search engine optimization because that's really the only way 
um, a business could be found uh, mm -hmm. back in 2000. And so we started out really doing a lot of websites and SEO, and then the world changed and things like paid advertising happened. And then, oh my gosh, this thing called social media happened. And so um, we've kind of evolved along the way. Um, and we've kind of evolved as our customers' uh, needs have changed. Like I remember we'd build a website and then we'd optimize it for our client and we'd go, hey, look, you know, you wanted to rank for this key phrase. It's an important key phrase for your business. You're now on the front page of, of the search engines. Uh, for that key phrase, aren't we great? And they would look at me and go, well, that's awesome, but we're not getting any leads. We're not getting any sales. And I'd go, well, but you didn't, you, you hired us to get you on the front page of, of a search engine, for example. And we'd go take a look at their website and we'd go, oh my gosh, your messaging is terrible. You don't have a call to action. You're not doing any of the right stuff you need to be doing on your website. And so uh, we kind of evolved as our buyers kind of pushed us to evolve because, or our customers rather pushed us to evolve because they just needed more things than just a website and, and good ranking in search engines. And by the way, I'm really going to date myself here. When we started doing SEO, um, our clients wanted to be ranked in Yahoo, AltaVista, and Lycos. So Google wasn't even a thing Whoa. back then. So the world's changed quite a bit. Um, but you know, now there's ABM, which believe it or not, it's 20 years old, hard to believe. Um, we've got social selling. We've got so many things that we can do today to get in front of um, our buyers and to help them make informed decisions. And ultimately, in my mind, that's what this is all about. Whether you're on the marketing side or the sales side, it's how can we help buyers make good decisions and how can we help them know that we exist and the problems that we solve? You mentioned a lot about, and you you were on both the sales and marketing side. You mentioned a lot about how those two teams need to come together to help buyers make the right decision. That's really the ultimate goal of a sales and marketing organization is to um, have somebody come to you, you give them the information that they need and guide them to making the right choice, whether it's ideally it's you, but like giving them the information to help them as best as you can. Um, you've been doing this for a long time. I think that uh, in pre-show, we talked about this, the issues of sales and marketing teams kind of working together have been an issue for a long time for the past mm -hmm. like 20 somewhat odd right. years forever <laughs> forever i guess yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but these great. teams these teams have always been ideally working towards the same goal but doing it in different ways and it's a problem that existed 20 years ago it's a problem that existed 10 years ago it's a problem that still exists today sales and marketing aren't always 100 percent aligned why can't we get this right? Like, why has this been a problem for the past two decades and why does it continue to be a problem today? Yeah, great question. And I'm, I'm going to preface it with um, this one key point. We have to get this right now more than ever before, because if we can't bring sales and marketing together and to get us more aligned, we're really going to be in trouble because of where the industry is going, especially in the world of B2B. So let me just start with the punchline, right? we got to figure this out and companies that do figure this out are the ones that are going to win and companies that still have turf wars are going to really start to suffer more than ever before. And so let me take you back in time. You know, when I started back in sales in the nineties, I've mentioned this a little bit earlier already, but you know, my job was to create demand for the customer from the client, the company that I work for, right? Their marketing didn't really create demand. There wasn't a way for marketing to create demand. So the, all of the burden of getting a company to become aware that your company exists and how you can help them 
all of that fell on top of the shoulders of sales. And the reason that I start there is I think that is the genesis of the sales and marketing alignment problem that we have because the burden has always been on sales. And because of that, um, you know, sales reps and sales leaders would look at marketing as the make it pretty department, right? I need a PowerPoint presentation. I need something to, uh, I need a one sheet for this particular client. I need, I need you to go create things and make them look pretty for me. We're going to this trade show. I need some coffee cups that have our logo on them. You know, that's, that's the way mm -hmm. that sales has perceived marketing for a long time. In fact, I remember in the late 90s, um, a marketing person, God bless this person, came up to me and said, hey, what can we do? I, me being a sales guy at the time, you know, what can we do to generate more leads for you or generate leads for you? And I literally laughed at this person and I said, I, I have no expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Leads? You marketing, generating leads? No, no, no. I don't want you to even talk to anybody or do anything that's going to get in the way because my, my fear was they were going to screw it up, right? Or they were going to waste my time. And so I think we're, you know, rolling into the 2000 and the internet age, there was just this attitude of, you know, sales kind of drives revenue. Marketing is there as the assistant um, at the beck and call of sales. And so okay. what happened though, is the internet occurred and buyer behavior has changed and started to shift dramatically over the last 20 years. And so marketing does have a seat at the table. Marketing could get a message in front of a buyer and drive them through a marketing funnel and then generate a lead. So then comes the next black eye and I'm in marketing. So I'm really kind of giving marketing a little bit of a bad rap here, <laughs> but, but here's the problem, right? Um, they were able to generate leads fairly easily, run an ad, drive people to a landing page, get them to fill out a form. Maybe it's a gated ebook. And so they started going, oh my gosh, Finally, we can have a seat at the table. We can show leads. We can show sales that we can do something valuable and drive revenue. Here's a gated. Here's a lead of somebody that that opted in for a gated ebook. They're hot, and then the sales rep would call them, and they're like, "I don't even remember downloading your ebook. What? Why are you? What? You're wasting my time." And so all of a sudden, sales begins to think um, marketing can produce leads and. Um, they're really bad leads. And so I don't even want these leads from, from marketing, right? And then they would sit in meetings where the marketing leader would say to leadership or the people in a, a boardroom, let's say, hey, we're hitting our lead quota. Marketing sitting our quota. You wanted a thousand leads last quarter. We generated a thousand leads. I have no idea why sales isn't making their pipeline goals. That's not our problem. That's the sales problem. And so that just further created a bigger chasm, um, I think. So uh, the internet hasn't helped and the way that marketing has responded to that really hasn't helped, um, much. And so the challenge that's going on though, is that because of the internet and really post COVID internet and the way that buyer behavior has changed post COVID is buyers now want to be in the driver's seat of learning about problems that they want to solve. And so they're pushing off and it doesn't matter what study you're looking at, whether it's the Gardner study or the IBM study or whoever's buyers are putting off talking to sales until the very last mm -hmm. possible minute. On top of that, we know that buyers before they even go into market, that they're already thinking about or have in their mind four or five vendors that could solve this problem for them. And they're, they're getting that where that's coming from is what I call passive learning. So they're, they're on LinkedIn or they're surfing the web or they're talking to peers and they hear about, oh, hey, here's a great company that can do ABC or XYZ. And so they file that away in their mind. And then when that problem becomes a priority in their business, 
they go, oh yeah, there's there's four or five companies I'm already thinking about. And um, Harvard Business Review did a great study last year where they said that 90% of the time, B2B buyers are gonna buy from one of those four to five vendors that are in their mind. Now, this is why sales and marketing alignment is so critical because they're not gonna talk to your sales guy until the very last minute. So how are you going to get in their mind if you're not leveraging marketing to do that today? And so yeah. we have to come together. And one of the best ways I think to break that down, AJ and Alex, is to get everybody aligned on the same goals. Let's not have a marketing goal and have a sales goal. Let's have a pipeline and revenue goal that we share together. And then we can really start working on, well, how do we achieve those goals together? Marketing, your job is to create awareness and let people know that the, of the problem we can solve. You know, our job on the sales side is once they raise their hands and they need help, um, let's optimize for that and make that a great pro uh, experience for the buyer. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, you really dove into the the whole concept there. I'm trying to decide which direction to take it, but um, it, it's an interesting history that you laid out there, right? Because you're saying that marketing sort of as far as marketing lead generation didn't exist and then it came out of sales and now we're almost it's completely flipped right where it's mm -hmm. like that lead generation is it's all marketing it's marketing marketing until the last moment um i kind of want to look towards the future do you see a point where like salespeople are just like gone should they be worried about that or is it really just about like bringing the two sides back closer together kind of where they they came from if that makes sense yeah, Alex, that is such a great question. And um, here's the thing. Sales is never going to go away. In, in B2B, I don't believe sales is ever going to go away. Because here's And here's a key point that I was hoping that we could make at some point today. So I'm glad you teed up the question. Um, in B2B, I've seen it my entire career. Um, there is a moment in time in the buyer's mind, okay, or buying committee, right, where they're going to go, I think XYZ vendor is the right company. Um, and it has the right solution, but I wonder how it's going to work in my environment. Every B2B buyer believes they have the most complex, most difficult, most unique <laughs> environment that ever existed, time. right? Yeah. I, I promise you, I've talked to them all the time, right? They're like, oh, but my, my, you know, we've got a lot of duct tape and bailing wire back here. I wonder how that's going to work in my environment. That's a really good thing. If you're a sales guy or sales leader right now, think about that. We need to optimize for that moment in time. So if you think about it, marketing's job is to get do everything to educate the buyer up to that moment. And then the minute that that buyer has that aha moment and goes, I wonder how this is going to work in my environment. I need to talk to a salesperson because that, that question cannot be answered on a website. That question cannot be answered in social media. That question can only be answered by an account executive that can go, well, let me understand your environment. Oh, you have this installed. You've done this. Great. Let me show you how that's all going to work. If we can optimize our sales journey or buyer's journey, rather, to get sales, uh, to get a customer to raise their hand and say, I'm ready to talk to sales because I've got questions. And then we prioritize those folks and only hand off those folks to sales. Then all of a sudden sales is going to think marketing generates some, the best possible leads out there because every time sales gets on the phone with a, that prospect, they're going to go, you know, hey, Alex, I'm so glad we're on this call. I've got this question. How is this going to work in my environment? I mean, doesn't every sales rep want to start a conversation there? You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm curious then, because you you talked about how that's that's marketing's job, right? Is to, to, to guide someone to the point with 
content with um, what, what they put out online to to the to get a, a person to think that right. Like, how can this work in my environment? Um, where does sales development fall into this? Because that's almost like passively, like you said, marketing is creating content so that that a buyer is doing passive learning. They're learning as much as they can about the space and picking out some vendors in their brain. But proactively, sales development sits there to reach out to people that might be in that space. They might be mm -hmm. in market. They might not be to generate that interest. Um, where where do they sit in your mind in sort of this overall ecosystem of sales and marketing? Are they in between? Do they fall up under one department or the other? Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And, you know, there's there's a big debate going on right now, uh, a couple of debates. One is, are sales development reps still relevant? And I'll talk about that. But then if they are, where do they fit? Should they should they roll up under marketing? Should they roll up under sales? Um, and I'm not here to settle that debate. But I will tell you, I think there's a great um, value in sales development reps. And so I don't think they're going away anytime soon either, because you know, there's a saying, and we've all heard it before, people buy from, they don't buy from brands, they buy from people, right? Mm -hmm. And if we want to optimize our account executives to only talk to folks that are sales ready, meaning I want to understand how this is going to fit in my environment, then how do we create that human connection before that moment in time? SDRs can really fill that role. And so what I tell folks is I want you to start thinking about your SDRs as information concierges. And so their job is really to understand um, the folks. And this is why we're big fans of account-based marketing. I know we'll talk, maybe talk about that here in a little bit, but that's why I'm a big fan of account-based marketing because, you know, we can start with a target account list. That's going to help an SDR really do their job, which in my mind is qualifying these accounts. Like wh where are they in their decision journey? Where are they in their prioritization of this issue that they've got? Who are the, who is the buy committee? What are their actual names and emails? Right. And and who influences what that all is done, you know, correctly, that should be done in my opinion by the sales development rep, but then have them add the human component, which is, Hey, you still have, you know, if you're, if you're running a full funnel strategy, you're doing something in the middle of the funnel to, to show buyer engagement. And one thing we're a fan of, for example, would be like events. Like we do a, a monthly event at Vendy digital as our mid funnel, uh, engagement strategy, right? So that means people are registering for a Zoom event. We're getting their information. SDRs are the people that can come in and reach out to those folks on LinkedIn, um, send them an email. Hey, did you, you know, did you want those resources? Here are the resources. So it's not a sales function. It's an information concierge qualification function. And, you know, I'm, I'm now on the marketing side. So I kind of feel like an SDR fits really well under marketing's umbrella, um, but I'm not ready to put my stake in the ground and say it's got to be that way. I just feel like the role, you know, if we need to quit thinking about SDRs just as appointment setters and more about information concierge and adding that human piece, because at the end of the day, what buyers are really trying to do, they're on this quest for knowledge. And if an SDR can come in and understand an account and understand what information they need and be the source of that. Hey, here's an article, here's a guide, here's a checklist, here's an event, here's a replay. That's going to really help the organization achieve those pipeline goals and revenue goals. Yeah. yeah. And I think AJ, it is a really good question because I, it, A, it depends on the environment. You know, everyone's got their own environment, like we were talking about with sales and marketing. But um, I think, Paul, to your point, this is where that alignment is really important because 
in reality, like we can say, oh, fits better under sales, fits better under marketing. But it really, to me at least, is that the bridge that bridges the gap between the two sides, right? You get all these leads for marketing, you sort of filter them, you sort through them, you call down the list, and then you give the best ones after qualifying, sharing that knowledge, right? Give that over to sales. And if sales and marketing aren't aligned, you're going to get a list that once you work through it, you're like, well, none of these were any good or vice versa, right? So I think that that the real value in an SDR, among the other things, the qualification is that communication and the ability to get that aligned message through from marketing all the way through sales down the funnel. Yeah, is a piece that I don't I don't really know where else it would sit, like who would be responsible for that if there weren't SDRs or a similar role at, a, at an organization. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you you so you've got this communication gap or this bridge that an SDR can play, which is so important because um, it is especially if, when we get into ABM, we'll talk more about, you know, how an ABM function works. But, man, you want to make sure that that you're hitting those targeted accounts with the right message. And sometimes that means a human um, and not like a demand gen function or a marketing function. And you don't want to waste your AE's time doing that. SDR is the right guy to do it. Uh, but at the same time, the SDR uh, needs to be communicating to marketing and sales. Hey, this is what's going on in this account. You know, so-and-so reached out to me on LinkedIn and they asked for this blog article or they were asking for any articles that we have on topic ABC. That's something that sales is going to want to know. That's something that marketing is going to want to know. Yeah, that feedback loop is is really crucial. Um, yeah. I do want to dive into the ABM side of things because um, I think you were kind of alluding to it. That's sort of the answer here, right? Like if you have a well-defined ABM strategy, then by default, all of these departments are working together towards a common goal. Exactly. I, I do want your definition of ABM though, because I think a lot of people, when they hear ABM, a couple of different things pop into their mind of like how it's yeah. structured, who's responsible for what. Um, how it's broken down, but you've done this for a long time and you run ABM programs regularly for your clients. So talk to me about your philosophy behind ABM, what what it means sure. to you and then what good looks like and may maybe even some of the common pitfalls of companies that say like, we're doing ABM, but they're, they're not. And it's just kind of masquerading what they're actually doing. Yeah, yeah. It, and I mentioned this earlier, it's like ABM is actually 20 years old. That's, that blows my mind um, because yeah, you sure. would think, everybody would be doing it now, but it's still like, uh, it really in this post COVID world, I feel like it's become, it's had a resurgence. Like people are interested in it more than ever before. So let's start with, uh, my definition, because I do agree with you, AJ, everybody listening to this podcast, we could go around and probably have a different answer or definition to that question for everybody that's here. Right. So our definition of account-based marketing is simply this. It's a, it's, and it's, it's a pretty macro definition. So it's aligning your business, right? So it starts there, right? It's aligning your business, your content, and your actions um, around educating and engaging with a targeted group of stakeholders throughout their entire buyer journey. So that's that's how we define account-based marketing. So when I say aligning your business, it, it's got to be a business objective. It can't be you know, you can't go to your to the CEO and go, "Hey, did you guys know we're you're, we're running account based marketing?" And have the CEO go, "What is that?" Right? I mean, it's got to be truly um, a, a an initiative because you know ABM when it's running correctly doesn't look or act or feel like traditional digital marketing uh, in my mind because it's not about generating a thousand MQLs a month. It's about moving 
uh, targeted stakeholders through a buying journey. And so, you know, if you've been on the MQL hamster wheel, if you will, and all of a sudden you switch to ABM, um, you're, you're going to freak out when all of a sudden you went from a thousand leads last quarter and, you know, now you had no new leads or you had, you know, because you've got to start with a targeted account list, you already already know who you're going after. Right. So it's not like lead generation is even that important. It's about understanding what is happening with the targeted accounts that we're going after. And so, you know, some of the challenges around account-based marketing are um, really what, to a certain degree, uh, some of the vendors that are out there have not have not done a, a good job of defining it because their definition is, uh, and I'm talking about technology vendors, their, their, their definition aligns with buy my software. Hey, this is account-based marketing. It's running ads to intent accounts, right? Um, buy my software so you can run ads to to accounts that are showing intent signals. You know, that's that's a challenge because um, a lot of people think that account-based marketing is running ads to accounts that are firmographically the kind of customer you're trying to meet that are throwing off signals that say that they are in market. And mm -hmm. I, I'm just going to tell you, I do not believe that is a good strategy at all because what we just talked about at the beginning of this podcast you know, we've got to get into the brain of our customer before they're in market. So if you're mm -hmm. going after only in market buyers because they're throwing off intense signals, you're you're in a race to the bottom on price because at that point you are viewed as a commodity. I would mm -hmm. much rather get in front of targeted accounts way before they're in market, communicate the problem that I solve, my point of view on the problem that I solve, and then nurture them through the journey. And what I found when you do account-based marketing that way, um, they really never throw signals. And I know that's weird, but think of it this way. As if you're getting in front of your buyer and you're helping them understand how to solve the problem and you're helping them understand how to prioritize that problem over other problems, when they're ready to buy, a huge percentage of them are just going to reach out to you. They're not going to go do research, which is kind of what creates those intent signals as Hey, did they go to G2? Did they go to this website? Did they do these searches? Well, if you can capture them and make them think that you're the best game in town to solve their problem before they ever throw those signals yeah. off, then you're yeah. going to get that business exclusively. I, I literally, we got a deal at the beginning of the year. Um, a company just reached out. It was like January the 3rd or 4th. So obviously in their, their annual planning in December, they decided they were going to do digital marketing. I got this, uh, this message beginning first week of, uh, of January. And they literally said, Hey, we're ready to sign up. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know who they were. So I, I went and, uh, set a meeting with them. Um, you know, obviously we kind of walked through our services. They literally signed a contract the next day. And when I went back to look at their journey in our database, in our, our CRM, they had been in our system for nine years. They had been getting emails and newsletters and stuff like that. And they never th showed any kind of buying signal. They just reached out when they were ready to buy because we had accomplished what a good ABM program should do. And that's really convinced them that we're the best game in town. And so yeah. sure, there's going to be um, in any ABM campaign, any digital marketing, you're always going to have customers that are going to reach out and talk to competitors. But the point I'm trying to make is ABM is not going after um, companies that are throwing off intent signals that happen to meet your firmographic um, you know, criteria. It's much better to figure out who are your ideal customers by looking at your current customer base, understanding what niche you serve the absolute best, 
um, going and building out a target account list based on that, segmenting that target account list based on a lot of criteria that we won't go into today unless you guys want to. But, you know, I, I like two or three tiers, like a tier one, a tier two and a tier three um, for those target accounts. And tier one are the ones where you're going to have your account executives um, do some work to target those accounts. So typically they're not going to be a tier one account unless they've been nominated by an account executive, for example. So imagine marketing comes up with a thousand target accounts. I'm just using that number arbitrarily. A The AEs look at that and go, hey, of these, here's five that I know are really hot. And these are the five that I want to be tier one accounts. And then partner with marketing to go, okay, what are we going to do with those tier one accounts? And then mm -hmm. tier two accounts would be heavy uh, heavily influenced by SDRs and and partially influenced by demand gen or marketing functions. And then those tier three accounts would be primarily demand gen or marketing functions with a backup of F SDR. So that's kind of the way we see it. It's AEs handling tier ones um, and in partnership with marketing, SDRs handling tier twos with a little bit of uh, air cover, if you will, from marketing. And then tier three is really handled, being handled by marketing primarily unless they become a hand raiser. And once they say, hey, I need to talk to sales because I wonder how this is going to work in my environment, then somebody in tier three quickly becomes a tier one and we prioritize for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really like the, the way you laid that out. To play a little bit of devil's advocate here, mm -hmm. just for somebody who's who wants to start using it. Hey, I did not like, sign up for that. No, no, no. <laughs> this was supposed to be all self-affirming, Alex. Yeah. Right. <laughs> never mind, never cut this, just cut it, no. Um, the uh, I'm curious. So you talked about you know the, these a lot of people or a lot of accounts. I should say that you put through this ABM strategy aren't raising their hands. They just sort of show up one day. Mm -hmm. Sort of obviously you're putting in the work, right? How do you know, especially if you're early on, just starting this kind of strategy? What are signs you can be looking for? Like how do you know it's working? Right, that's a great question. So um, when when you think about ABM, um, you you have to really. Um, kind of throw the marketing funnel out the window and think about the different stages of the buyer journey. And you're looking for signals that would show you that that buyer is at those different stages. And so, um, so, and you can measure those things, right? So one, one stage would be um, either uh, brand unaware or problem unaware. So this would be, hey, this is a logo that we would really like to have as a client, but they don't know we exist or they really don't know the problem that we solve. And so what we want to do, an easy way to measure that is let's create content that communicates um, the problem that we solve and let's run ads um, to that those logos and those uh, key contacts within those logos that communicate the problem that we solve. LinkedIn, uh, po promoting content on LinkedIn would be a great way to accomplish that. Then you could actually look and say how many of those targeted logos are actually engaging with that content and coming over to our website. That would be one mm -hmm. of then you've got the problem aware folks, right? So these are people that are, you know that they're problem aware. And so now you're, in, I would call those, and I just said, throw the marketing funnel out the window. So I apologize for what I'm about to say, but these are like the mid funnel guys, right? These are the guys in the middle of the funnel, right? That I just said, we don't need anymore, but, but let's pretend like we still need it a little bit. And at that middle of the funnel, that problem aware, we want to put things in their path that are going to help them in their journey, right? Because we know that they're trying to solve a problem. So we want to have an event or we want to have a podcast or we want to have a checklist or we want to have a guide, something that's going to show um, that they, that that's going to help them that we can then see the signal of, did they attend that event? Did they consume that guide? Did they go to that thing? 
And so now that's how we're seeing those problem aware folks and are they moving through the journey? Um, this is also where I love to have content hubs of different kinds. So maybe you have verticalized content hubs, which are, you know, take your best content, verticalize it for the industries that you're going after and then run ads um, to those vertical segments, to the vertical content hubs. And then you can kind of see what's going on. But ultimately, let's get to that last um, stage of the journey where they're really solution aware and they're they're prioritizing this. This is where we're looking for, Alex, uh, to answer your question, what we call the surge. And the surge is, and this is very easy to monitor if you've got good analytics set up on your website, that's where multiple people within the targeted account are consuming a lot of content and spending a lot of time on your website. Um, that's a surge. And so when you start having a surge in account-based marketing, depending on the tier, that's why you tier things, you're going to be letting your SDRs know, hey, this tier two account is surging. So that SDR should be calling, you know, and if you've got a good marketing automation system, they'll they'll automatically get a workflow that says, hey, call this, call this company because they're surging. Mm -hmm. If it's an account, if it's a tier one account, you're going to alert the account executive, hey, this account is surging. And so that's how you kind of monitor and create workflows around that. So, you know, top of the funnel, it's, hey, did they engage with my content? Did they come to my website? I just said funnel, doggone it. Um, you know, the middle, it's like, did they consume the content that we wanted them to consume? Are they um, using the resources that we've made available? And then at the end, it's, you know, are they surging? And so that's that's how you measure that stuff. We can't quit the funnel. It's it's impossible. It's so <laughs> embedded into this culture at this point that it's, it's it really is. Alex Alex hates the funnel. I don't know if actually we we recorded an episode of Optum where you just bash the funnel for like we, five minutes. But... All it, all I'm saying is funnels in real life they keep everything you put in the top gets to the bottom. That's not how the yeah. sales. Yeah, I agree, all... Alex. I would love. I mean, I I basically tell people all the time that the funnel is dead, but it's hard to communicate. Um, this process, like I just described without kind of talking about the funnel, but the reality right. is it's a journey. And, you know, uh, right before we jumped on the podcast today, we we're talking about taking trips through New Mexico and taking, you know, there's a lot of different plate ways to get to uh, a destination, right? If I'm in Dallas, AJ, you're outside of Boston. There's probably 10 different ways I could get to Boston if I wanted to drive to Boston, right? That's a journey. And so really it is more about journeys than it is about a funnel because not everybody's gonna follow a linear path. And so what we've right. got to really do is understand what are the needs at each of those stages of the journey and make sure that we've made that stuff readily available um, for uh, the buyer. And you know, one thing I'm just gonna land the plane on this is um, where I, I've, I see a lot of sales organizations struggle with account-based marketing is if we're really gonna to try to optimize for the aha moment for when the buyer says, how is this gonna work in my environment? There's a lot of things that sales likes to save for the demo or, or that original discovery meeting that I'm going to tell you we need to pry out of their hands yeah. and repurpose that into readily ungated, easy to access information in social media, on your website. And I've had lots of battles with sales organizations where they don't want to do that because they feel like that's the hook that's going to get somebody to have a meeting with them. And what I say back to them is, if you feel that way, then marketing is going to always give you crappy leads. But if you can let us really get that information out there and optimize for hand raisers, then you're going to be much happier because the leads that are sent your way are going to be more in high intent, ready to go. 
I really like the way that you you put that. And we we've talked about it on I think this show and and through other communities in the past as well. But um, it, it's about being that delta. And this mostly is kind of reserved for SDRs and and to a lesser extent marketing. But like there's stuff that people can find out about you online and stuff that they can't. And that's the stuff that, like you said, like sales wants to like kind of yeah. put behind the curtain so that when you do get them in, they they give them that. It's like you give them a bite of the cookie. And then when they actually agree to a demo, they get the whole cookie. Right. Um, it, it's really been on the onus of SDRs and marketing to be that Delta and, and share what people can't find out about you online to get them into the hands of a salesperson. And I think gating less content and doing more and more of that prying out later stage demo type stuff and putting it into the hands of sales and marketing, that feedback loop like we talked about before and making sure that everyone is aligned with that message and it's cohesive and that everyone understands like I'm bringing people in to your hands because they interacted with A, B, and C. So I need more A, B, and C to bring in more people, right? I think that that speaks really well to what you've been talking about where the evolution of sales has gone from I'm a salesperson and I hold all of the power to now I'm here to help guide you to the right decision. Right. To do that, I need the right tools. And if you're holding those tools behind a a gate and I can't access them, I'm not going to give you good leads. So it's all about alignment. It's all about getting sales and marketing and SDRs on that same page so that the right message is being delivered to people and you're getting actual interest and, and real solid leads into the hands of salespeople versus like you were saying, marketing gave me a thousand leads and 902 of them were Mickey Mouse this month. So yeah, I need exactly. some real leads here, guys. It, it, exactly. And don't think about like eye candy being something I want to hold back because let's give the the prospect all the great, pretty eye candy we can give them because what they really, the, what's going to make your sales meeting the most impactful is when the meeting starts with, I need to understand how this is going to work for me. Because buyers, they want the eye candy before they get there. And that's a part that sales is still struggling with, right? It's like they want to save the sexy demo for the, they want them to look good while they're doing this really cool demo. But really what a customer wants is, hey, how's this going to work for me? I need the context. I need you to help me understand what this is going to work, how this is going to work. And when you focus on that, that's the most awesome thing a customer could possibly want. They don't need to see the glitz and glam in the demo or in the sales meeting, they need to understand how you're going to help them get this across the finish line. That's what they really want help with. Yeah. I like the way that you frame that. And I I know you talked about it before, but there's all those statistics from different um, publications like Gartner and IBM about like X percent. It's like 44% of people prefer to have like a sellerless experience when buying a piece of software. And stats like that should tell sales teams like, oh, I'm doing something that is like, either getting someone who gets in touch with me annoyed or like to the point where they just don't want to talk to me, right? They want to just buy something or they want to be able to go through the process as seamlessly as possible. And you interrupt that that seamless process by putting a roadblock in and saying, hey, you need to give me your information. You need to do X, Y, and Z before I can give you what you want. That's a really easy way for someone who, like you had talked about, has three or four other vendors in their head that they're thinking about to just go to them instead. Well, and think about that. If they've got three or four other vendors um, in their head and you're one of the lucky three or four vendors that are in their head and the other vendors are adding roadblocks or making it really hard for them to get to the information that they want and you're the one that's optimized to make it easy for them and you are the easy button for them getting this across the finish line, 
um, you're going to win that business. You're going to be that 10% that wins the business. Mm. I mean, think about all of our buyers. This is not the only thing on their plate. I know we want to think that this is it. This is the only thing they're doing until the deal gets done. They've got like a thousand other things that they're worrying about right now, including is this decision going to make me look good or is this decision going to make me look bad? And so the more we can help them make this decision easy for them and to show them how we're going to make them look good and they're going to be the hero when this thing is done, those are the those are the companies are going to win. And I'm going to throw one other stat at you, AJ, since you started the stat game. Um, this one is real interesting. Uh, it's a new one that I've seen recently. Um, 75% of B2B buyers um, are digital natives, meaning that they are millennials or younger, okay? And they grew up with a smartphone in their hand. And so because of that, they think about consuming data and getting information totally different than old guys like me. You know, I hey, when I started sales, Guys, there was no email. There wasn't even email. I had all I had was phone calls and going and taking people to lunch. And now, what I'm telling you is, you know, um, these digital natives really expect to consume data a different way. And if we mm-hmm. if we try to fight that or buck that trend, we're going to lose because other companies are going to realize, oh my gosh, we need to serve these digital natives differently than the way we've served uh, the older buyers. Yeah. I mean, hey, Gen Z's right around the corner too. They're entering the workforce and they they were probably born with a smartphone in their hands. So yeah, at this point, exactly. <laughs> that number is just going to keep going up and up in terms of how how seamless and uninterrupted they want their buying experience to be. Yeah. Consumer percent. Um, awesome. Well, uh, Paul, I do want to give you the opportunity to, um, as we kind of wrap up here, to, to sum everything up that we've talked about, which is a lot. I know we, we covered multiple decades and multiple different stuff here today, but um, if you want the audience to take like one thing away from the conversation we had today to take back to their organization and make some positive change or, or you know, tweak some things, what would that one thing be? The, the all-encompassing summarization. Yeah, here, here in my mind is the summary statement. Um, demand generation is not in the hands of sellers anymore. Um, if you're going to be successful and get in front of buyers in the future, you've got to trust your marketing department to go... Uh, enable your targeted buyers to know that you exist and the problem that you solve uh, and optimize for that moment in time when they're ready to talk to sales. The companies that figure that out, that marketing's job is to create demand and sales job is to create context and help deals get across the finish line are the ones that are going to win in the future. And the ones that continue to fight sales and marketing alignment are the ones that are going to be left behind. Great way to sum it up. Um, Thank you, Paul, for being here. Really appreciate it. If people want to learn more about you, about Vende, continue the conversation with you, how can they do that? You know, I would say start at LinkedIn. Just look me up, Paul Slack. Uh, pretty active there. I post uh, pretty much every day, and I try to post some real actionable things on, um, you know, account-based marketing, B2B digital, social selling, all those things. Um, if you want to learn more about our services, you can just go to vendedigital.com and uh, check us out there. Um, but I would start at, uh, at LinkedIn. It's a great place. Awesome. Can confirm Paul does post pretty much daily and it's all good. Um, awesome. Well, Hey, thanks again for, for being here, Paul. Really appreciate it. Thank you listener for listening to this episode. Remember to like, and subscribe to unsubscribe, get more tips and tricks like this in your inbox and we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks. All right. A lot of fun guys. Take care. Thanks for watching this episode of Unsubscribe, the Demand Drive podcast. 
If you want less of those nasty unsubscribe emails in your inbox, go ahead and check out some of the content we have to the left and make sure that you subscribe to unsubscribe to keep your SDR team in tip top shape.